0: This is Dave Larzalier. Welcome to the Balanced Band Director Podcast, a show about music, band directing, leadership, and balancing your life and career. Each episode, I have the tremendous honor to speak to educators, composers, and friends who will share their insights and experiences about life and teaching. I hope that you find these interviews inspiring and motivating, and they help bring balance to your own life and career. Please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Balanced Band Director, or send me an email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy the show, and I appreciate you listening. Susan, are you there?
1: Hi, David. Yes, I am. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you? Oh, I am just great. Thank you so
0: much for being my guest today on the Balanced Band Director podcast.
1: My pleasure. Uh, Thanks for asking. Oh, yeah,
0: you bet. Uh, For my listeners today, my guest is the one and only Susan Gould from Greenville High School. Um, I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. I feel like we have so many friends in common in circles that overlap and I never actually have the opportunity to just have a a, a nice conversation with you so I'm really looking forward to to that today. Thanks yeah right back at you. Yeah Um, so first of all why don't you just tell us what you do at Greenville and how long you've been there and kind of give us you know the classes you teach or the classes that you would normally teach in a normal year.
1: (laughs) Sure Uh, well I'm getting ready to start my 30th year at Greenville, and I've spent my whole career in the same school district. How's that for crazy? That's amazing. I, yeah, and I considered leaving, you know, a couple of times. Everyone, you know, early in the career kind of sends out feelers, and sometimes the grass really isn't greener. It's right. it, It's been great to be in the same place. Um, I am lucky enough to teach high school band and orchestra, so every time I want to fight with that band director for getting in. <laughs> I just have to argue with myself right and I've taught a variety of things at the middle school level too: beginning strings or beginning percussions beginning woodwinds Um, I've assisted with eighth grade band I've taught music theory Um, and for the last 10 years I've had one hour a day in the fall of working with an online um, support class for kids that are trying to make up credit. Um, we run a, a program at Greenville called Legacy Learning, which is getting all kinds of attention right now in this pandemic. I'll bet. Um, and we partnered with Edgenuity to kind of provide content for students to take off and do things virtually, but they need live teacher support. So, one semester a year for the last 10 years, I've been that live teacher support for some kids during the day. Wow. Yeah. As if
0: you had nothing else to do, right? Right. <it>. Oh, that's great. Um, And so then you you teach teach the high school band, high school orchestra, and I know there's a jazz program there too, right? Obviously,
1: marching band and all that stuff. Yeah. When I started teaching, I did jazz band on Sunday nights. And um, a few years into my career, seven years into my career, the program doubled and I was able at the time in the mid-90s to get a a second teacher. Um, So we brought Jeff Ayers ultimately on board. Okay. And his specialty is jazz trumpet. He's just phenomenal. Just retired last year. Okay. But he really wanted to take that element. And so absolutely, he took that element over and made it a zero-hour class. Mm -hmm. Um, And just a year before we hired Jeff, I grew the band to be about 190. So I split it into three. Um, So I have an all ninth-grade band. And then my marching band is actually just 10th through 12th graders. I don't march my freshmen. Okay. Except in parades. They learn how to go forward with a good sound. There you go. And relatively (laughs) in step. (laughs) <laughs> for the parades very and good their, their sophomore year we bring them in and, and field marching
0: so who does somebody teach is there a middle school orchestra program too
1: there's middle school orchestra program and a middle school band program okay uh, yep so great three full-time instrumental right now gotcha hmm. um great well can you tell us a little bit about
0: how you got started i know you're from the lansing area went to williamston if i'm if i remember correctly sure. Yes. Um, and just talk about your background story, you know, your, your family a little bit, main instrument and all that stuff.
1: Okay. Well, my um, I did grow up in Williamston. My dad um, was the local mechanic in town. He owned Ron's Service Center, if anyone's familiar with that area, right next to what was the Dairy Queen, um, and also ran our family farm. So I kind of grew up in that working class sort of environment. My mother um, has a college degree from Michigan State in French and Sub-Saharan African Studies. Wow. He was um, a stay at home mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but just brilliant woman. Yeah. And, but I, I just had a terrific childhood growing up. Um, and my dad was a drummer and he didn't have a whole lot of time to do that, running the farm and running the business. Uh, but there was always music in the house and they were very encouraging when I started band with Ted Thompson. Okay. Um, and that, that family is still very musical. In fact, they have East Lansing ties to, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and he, so he was my band director till my sophomore year of high school when Sarah McCoyne got her first job out of college and she was just on fire and I had just all kinds of respect for her. So she was a kind of a primary influence kind of player. She's now Dr. Sarah McCoyne at Texas tech. Right. Um, and so she was, she was really helpful and I took lessons from who is now Gail Katrin. Okay. And she was my flute teacher. In fact, I, I snuck lessons with her all through college too. Um, So primary instrument was flute. And I was pre-med. I was not going to be a band director. I was on this science kick all through school, pre-med, 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 pre-med. And then April of my senior year of high school, I thought, yeah, I think I want to be a band director. (laughs) So (laughs) my parents went, what? Yeah. Um, But I was taking lessons and I was just really into it. And it was something um, that was just a part of my identity. Couldn't imagine not doing it. And I was teaching private lessons um, and enjoyed that. So
0: made a career out of it. So was Dr. McQueen your your teacher for all those three years, sophomore, junior, senior high school?
1: Yep, she was. And then she left for her master's program when I graduated. Okay.
0: Um, So she was just in Williamson for three years. Yeah, that must have been a great influence
1: to have uh, at that time in your life. Young, intelligent female. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: So you went to MSU. I know you were very
1: involved with marching band
0: and, uh, you know, did that thing. I'll talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Williamson was a little tiny school at the time. There was one high school band. There were 36 of us. Um, my senior year, there wasn't a Sax kind of balanced things out. Uh-huh. And uh, and when, you know, Sarah talked me into trying out for the band, I thought, okay, I'll try that. Yeah. Uh, loved it. You know, so I picked up an alto saxophone a couple months before auditions and made it. I, I don't think I can do that now, but um, I marched with an alto saxophone. Yeah. And uh, it absolutely. They were the Rose Bowl years, so I went to the '88 Rose Bowl and the Gator Bowl, and just all kinds of travel opportunities that were new and fabulous for you know someone come on off the farm in a small town. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yep.
0: Um,
1: Those I, were also the best years so had to do the Percy Granger to the Four recording. Oh yeah, we played flute on that. Wow. Um, that senior year of college, it was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, what an experience. We had to do that recording at like midnight in the old music room in 120 and john mcdaniel drilled holes and dropped mics through the ceiling Uh, and we recorded from like midnight to 3 a.m when nobody else was in the building to make it quiet enough
0: yeah that's really funny Uh
1: uh-huh i um
0: my i didn't even know about that cd when i was in college and my first job was teaching in marshall and you know it was one of those jobs where I think I was the fourth director in like six or seven years. And so Mm -hmm. you you walk in and the office is just, you know, it's a, it's a, 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 it's just a bomb of, of other people's kind of stuff. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's uh, it's always very interesting, but um, I found that disc in, in one of the desk drawers and that was my first uh, real exposure to that CD. And really my first in-depth exposure to the the music of Granger. I mean, and I remember (laughs) During my planning period, I would I would listen to it almost every single day and just kind of start to finish because it was just such a great disc. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this music is so awesome. And I'd heard some of it, but I didn't I wasn't really, you know, schooled in, in in as much Granger as I should have been at the time. So it was a great way for me to really you know dive into that.
1: Yeah. The original title to that disc was Percy Granger's Basement because he had so much stuff that hadn't been published or wasn't really well known yet. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the pieces that are on that CD are just, they're not part of the standard repertoire. Right, so. right.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a great, great title. Great. Love the title of the, the desk. Yeah. Awesome.
1: To the floor. yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so when you went into MSU, were you like 100 percent sure you're going to be a music teacher or when did when did that really sink in that this is what was going to be your career?
1: um after shortly after my marching Man audition with bill weedrick and i'd met and talked a lot with gail again my flute teacher at the time and just felt like this was really comfortable for me and they were both such powerful teachers just in those initial meetings that i thought i wanted to to be that person so i went in with my eyes and my heart set on i think i need to be a, a music teacher mm-hmm. um but I I was torn because I loved my flute and I was in the Wind Symphony and, and taking lessons and all that. But I also was a decent saxophone player and I really was enjoying playing that instrument a lot. Um, and so as a as a music major, you know, you're sort of you're sort of pressured into choosing one. Right. Um, and as a music ed teacher, I really felt like I needed to. Be as exposed to as many instruments as possible. So I continue to play saxophone and flute and any other instrument I get my hand on, um, and I still do. I play in a jazz group, uh, an adult jazz band locally, and I play flute whenever possible. Right. So I still am a doubler on those instruments, and and if I have to, I'll put a clarinet in my head, but I I don't, I don't think I'll solo on that.
0: Yeah, you know that's so funny you said that because when I started teaching or when I went to college, I should say, you know, I played trumpet pretty well. And I sort of played percussion I played percussion in high school marching band and I played drum set and things like that. But it didn't really dawn on me that I was going to have to like learn how to play all the instruments. I don't know why I didn't figure that out, you know, uh, until, you know, I became a junior or senior. Um, But it's funny that you mentioned that because I have students, and I don't know if you've ever had this situation too, where I have the students that want to become a band director. You know, they've got tons of leadership ability, and they're, mm-hmm. they're pretty good on one instrument, but they can play, you know, sax was a great example. I have a student that plays saxophone and flute and clarinet and percussion, and she's an amazing kid, would be a great teacher, but she's probably not good enough on any one of those four to make a school like MSU. And super frustrating because yes. a kid like that could be a great teacher, but some of those doors get closed just because of, of that situation.
1: Absolutely. And that could be a whole other podcast right, right. there. I, right. I can think of a student that graduated 15 years ago. She's now married with kids, is teaching, but she's not teaching music. Um, and she was an accomplished flute player and violinist
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and was lucky enough to get a full ride scholarship to a specific university. So she wasn't about to turn that down, but she didn't get accepted as a music major at that university. Right. And I think that's music's loss. She would have yeah. been fantastic. Yeah,
0: Yeah. especially in this day and age where, I mean, you know, so rare are, are people just, you know, just a band director or you're just, mm-hmm. just a high school band director. I mean, those jobs are so infrequent like, and you're a perfect example of that, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you have to be able to wear all the hats. And, yeah. and as an orchestra teacher, I mean, I got that job immediately. So the first thing I did was, OK, let's get a stringed instrument in my hands and start learning how to play this thing. And my summer PD was on string instruments, and my grad classes included cello lessons. You know, I just needed to absorb that world, which yeah. was native to me. Right. Um, and now I, I think I'm a pretty good eighth grade viola player. I got to say. Don't <laughs> and if kids see me pick up a trombone, they kind of run screaming out of the room. Right, right. Oh, Who's better at it, Mrs. Gould or you? And if it's Mrs. <laughs> Gould, you better go home and practice. That's the, that's their goal by the end of eighth grade, right? Be better
0: than Mrs. Gould. Be better know. than Mrs.
1: Gould on the viola. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Or trombone, yeah, right. that's great. Well, talk to me a little bit about that about jumping in to that job and being probably much more comfortable with the band thing, but then, like having this whole other world that you were just kind of maybe just trying to stay one day ahead of the students,
1: absolutely for the first couple of years, especially i um part of part of me just had to admit that to the kids, yeah, I'm a really good musician, I promise you my ears work. I will be able to tell you if that's if you're playing it correctly or incorrectly, if it's in tune, or if it's out of tune. You know, that part of things is not different. And really, um, as a musician reading a string score, you know, five lines, X, all C. And the only the only fight is viola clef, you know, right. Right. Um, So just taking lessons and and understanding what the kids were struggling with made a big difference for me as a teacher, because then I could understand it. So I needed to actually get the instruments in my hands and fail at the instrument to see how the kids were failing at the instrument. Talk them through it, and I had a, a gifted cello player. She's doing recordings in L.A. Uh, lucky enough to have her in my orchestra. So I took cello lessons from my own student. That's awesome. Carl, school with it? Yes, miss school. I do that. Yeah. yeah, Well, good for you. I think you know.
0: Yeah. Often, young teachers, the mistake they make is they they feel like they have to go out there and know everything. You know, and I think it's it says a lot that you can go out there and and admit where your weaknesses are and and get yeah. get get the kids on your team so that they can you know, work together to get over it. So,
1: And programming-wise, whatever you're in, you don't program Soskovic first year. You right. don't program divorce. Right? You program to where your skills are and where the kids' skills are. And if the kids' skills are not where yours are, you need to come down a notch. And that that made a big difference. I talked to lots and lots and lots of colleagues about smart programming.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly made that mistake my first year, too, especially at the middle school. I student taught at a high school and mm-hmm. my, my first job was a you know, five through 12 job And my my middle school literature knowledge was almost non-existent. You know, I knew who Ann McGinty was, but that was about it. Right. Um, And of course, the library was totally insufficient. I was naive to the fact that you basically when you get a job like that, you pretty much almost have to buy every piece you're going to do because the library is just, you know, middle school libraries from 50 years ago the music is Mm -hmm. entirely too hard and not written well for you know your average middle school student these days so
1: and that's true story i see a lot of people when i judge too that are programming um some of the older pieces that are fantastic pieces claire grunman i love his music if you don't have 30 clarinets it doesn't sound good right you know it was written for that when when there was an entire class of beginning clarinets in the 70s and 80s that was a trend yeah. Um, so you had these huge sections, and a lot of those pieces are just scored for that trend, you know. And and now we have flex band available, which right. could be all kinds of things, you know. It, right. You just have to kind of follow what's happening educationally. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well,
0: do you have any uh, do you have any other influences from college or from your early career that were really important to you to get started?
1: Well, I think I was really lucky in that the colleague I inherited, so to speak, when I started teaching in Greenville was the band director um, from the high school. He went to the middle school. So middle school director retired, and Keith Hudson, God bless, took the middle school job. And he was, he was my mentor. He still is. My kids kind of refer to him as grandpa Keith and you know, he's, he's a family member now and he was so supportive and patient and, kind and helpful throughout those beginning years and that he still is that way i still have him come in and do lessons for the kids or teach solo and ensemble i call him and ask about repertoire you know and he's just a phenomenal musician in his in his own right he's a woodwind specialist clarinet bassoon oboe flute you name it he can play it saxophone we play in the same jazz band together um so keith has been huge and i just got really lucky to take a job where i had a friend and mentor right in place that's awesome.
0: I I, yeah. I, can, I can
1: imagine. I can see
0: that going so differently in many situations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, for good for him to be able to, you know, put the uh, put the ego on the on the shelf and and do what's best for you and what's best for the kids in, in the program. There, it's awesome. Absolutely, yeah.
1: And that that example alone. Somebody asked me you know, a piece of advice for a young director, and, and you just said it, take your ego and stick it in your back pocket where you can sit on it. Yeah. It, it doesn't, It's not about you. It's about the kids in the program. And he was such a model for that. Another big influence, and he's just a, a local um, musician, but John Verano, who is the associate conductor of the Grand Rapids Symphony, and he also conducts the Grand Rapids Youth Symphony, mm-hmm. continues to be a, a hero, mentor, t- all the way. He started taking on the youth symphony about a year before I started in Greenville. So maybe 1990. Wow. And his dedication to the youth of greater Grand Rapids is astounding. And he is such an incredible educator. I've had him come and clinic my students just about every year I've been in Greenville, if not twice a year, if I can arrange it. Um, I've been lucky enough to have a grant in place to bring the entire symphony to play side by side with my high school kids. Um, He's just so wonderful with students. When my own daughter was ready to audition for the Grand Rapids Youth Symphony, I'm like, yes, I get to go to rehearsals and watch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and I did. <laughs> she probably hated it. Mom. Just like, no, no, no. Nope. I'm coming along. Yep. Kid. It's PD. I, he I, he just absorbs so much of his brain. Every time he works, he's just fantastic with kids. He's witty. He's funny. He's brilliant. Um, and he has yet to disappoint me. I mean, that's 28, 29 years, 30 years now that I've known him and and he's still, he's still the tops. So I, nice. I, if I'm stuck, I call John. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's such a good thing, such a good person to have
0: in your, in, your, uh, in your network, too, to be able to have that connection. And it sounds like a great opportunity for your students to have, you know, the side by side opportunity. Um, that's just great.
1: Yeah. The fact that he's willing to do that with our public kids, you know, and I, I, he's, he's of the mind where philosophically I am, too. We're raising future music supporters, right. you know, not every kid is a music major. Some of them are. I have, a, a, I have two right now that are in college that are studying music to be teachers, which is more than I ever dreamed I'd have as a teacher. Yeah. So, but we're teaching kids how to be consumers. And John's influence is right on that page. He wants kids to go through our programs and come out on the other side appreciating great music, knowing the difference between good music and not so good music, and, yeah. and spending their money on symphony tickets and recordings and, and sending their own students to, to study when their parents. Yeah, well, cool. Yeah.
0: Well, let, yeah. let's. Let, that's kind of a good segue to kind of talk about um, some of your maybe principles of your leadership in education, or just your philosophy a little bit about being a teacher. Um, maybe just some some hacks or tricks that you have that you think you know. If somebody said, "Oh, I got th- I got this from Susan Gould," or you know, "I got this from watching Susan Gould," or you know, that's something that maybe Susan would do. You know, we talk a little bit about your your principles of leadership and then maybe a couple of things that you do that you think are pretty significant
1: so my colleague jeff who just retired last year used to say you know students at the middle school don't need me at the high school because they've got the susan gould show (laughs) (laughs) and i've always wanted to use humor in the classroom to kind of keep the kids engaged Uh and i i don't think i could teach without it um I, it's, a, it's a plus it's a plus and a minus at the same time because kids will, will be entertained if they can giggle a little bit and they feel better, they're more comfortable, they're more relaxed. And at the same time, I can derail my own rehearsal in about 12 seconds. <laughs> and it's gone and I can't get it back. But I, I still use that more now than ever. You know, the older you get, the more your filter is broken and you can't necessarily stop the comment before it comes out. But the kids tend to buy into that. So and I'm getting better at pivoting back from a joke into, okay now let's talk about this in real terms. Yeah. And keeping their attention. And it it does break their tension a little bit. So that's that's been really helpful. In fact, I even took an online class about five years ago using humor in the classroom. And I think it was designed more for um, elementary and, and early middle school, sixth, seventh grade Teachers, but I, I still took a lot away from it. And the fact that kids need to have a pressure valve, they, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of tension in their life. And if you can make them smile during their class period, they're going to relax and listen to what you have to say. Yeah. So that's, that's big for me. Another big thing that I stole from Jeff and developed further is the idea of student leadership in the program. Um, so even at the, even at the middle school level, this works. But for me, I have a student council, a band council and an orchestra council. And they run the program. I have a librarian, I have an equipment manager, I have a uniform manager, I have um, a captain, I have a historian who keeps the scrapbook for us. So the kids are they run for these roles, they're elected into these positions. And then I support them, but they own it. So when uniform handout time comes the kids are doing it. They're recording the numbers. They're sorting them by size. They're doing the inspections on a performance. They're finding the missing bow tie or the missing plume. <laughs> and it, it takes it off my shoulders completely. Yeah. Well, not completely. I still need to supervise a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm in a position where I do have some parental help, but not a ton. And the kids owning their own program has made such a difference and keeping the room clean and keeping things on top of, you know, Mrs. Gould, what can I do for you right now? I see that you bought some new music. You want me to file it? Says the librarian. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's the program and they'll type it in and they'll file it. And hopefully they've typed it in correctly. So that when I go (laughs) for it, in a couple of years, I don't have to respell it, but um, that that's made a big difference. That student leadership piece. Yeah.
0: That's, you know, that is so powerful. That is something that I have struggled with immensely in my career. And I think for two reasons, first of all, I'm, I'm over the mindset and I know I'm not alone in this, but it's kind of like the, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself, you know, that yes. kind of thing. And, I, and <laughs> and also, you know, I, I get fall into the trap of, you know, it's going to take me a couple of hours just to train this kid how to do this. I might as well just do it myself, you know? And yeah. so I, I get, I fall into the pray to both of those both of those traps but i envy that you've had the patience and the uh, and the wherewithal to to really bring your council and your student leadership into fruition i think that's something that i personally you know need to attack in the next couple of years
1: it makes such a difference you know like right now we're doing everything remotely so i've sent a quick email out to band council do you like this t-shirt design what do you right. think they give me the you know they're just there and they've right. been elected so yeah. um, there's still quite a bit that i won't turn over to them yeah. obviously
0: but generally, I mean, I, and this is nothing, no knock against parents, but sometimes parents end up creating more problems when you involve them with, with a lot of these things. And like, if you can train the kid to do it the right way, the way you want to do it, it ends up being a, even easier.
1: Yes, it does. And I see them every day. And if there's a problem, I can address it every day. I'm not trying to bring somebody in on their right. you know, day off or weekend and try to, to redo it. Right. Yep.
0: Well that's great you know and, and to to circle back to what you said earlier about using humor I think that's that's again is such a a powerful message I think that um what what resonates with students as much as humor is just a genuine relationship and when they see you being a genuine person, they feel such more of a connection they have such a great b s meter you know that, that they mm-hmm. don't want it. they don't want you know they don't want the the mrs gould the teacher they want susan gould they want the person that you are you know and when you're able to offer that i think that that is really a a good trip to creating that connection or creating relationships with a student
1: and relationships right now more than ever are so important you know i i I, we're all worried about retention who's going to be left after this are we going and are we going to be live nobody even knows what's happening right now Yep. No clue. But if they have a relationship with you, they'll trust you and they'll sit it out. You know, I don't think any of our students want to have a, a fall of just music theory lessons. I think they would run screaming into the woods. They want to perform. Right. But if they know there's some performance and to get through this, they have to take some of these lessons online. Okay, I'll do it because then later on I get back with, with right. my teacher. They join, you know, kids join programs because they want to learn to be a musician. They want to play the instrument. But they stay when they like their teacher. Right. And their friends, and their friends. Yeah, yeah. So you got to keep that whole thing in balance. By yeah. um, the student element is so important too. Yeah. It's a, a triangle.
0: Well, you know that's a that again is another great segue to this next question, which is just about how you how do you achieve balance in teaching? And I think you touched on a lot of things already, but maybe you could talk a little bit about how you achieve balance in your life. I'm always impressed. I you know we're Facebook friends, and, and I see you um, you know so kind of gallivanting around the country with your family <laughs> and doing all these great things and. Um, that have nothing to do with your career. And I think that's just fantastic. So, you know, what are some things that you do to make that happen?
1: Well, that needed to be a priority when I became a parent. Um, And I was, you know, as a young teacher, and this is going back into people that are in their first 10 years of, of the job, it's really tempting to stay at the job as long as possible because you want everything right. You want to spend so much time in that building Filing the music and keeping things clean, and listening to recordings, and studying the next scores you want to send out to your kids. There's just always something to do. And a good friend of mine said at one point, you know, the job will take as much as you're willing to give it. Yeah, it will always take it. Yep. And so I, that was that was really powerful. When I had our second child, I thought, okay, something has to change. So we we intentionally did some things in our family to make life a little bit easier. We moved halfway between jobs. And then of course, my husband took a job at East Lansing. So he's driving an hour and a half every day. <laughs> um, but we, we moved a little closer to Greenville so that I was a little bit closer to school. We made sure that daycare was in the neighborhood and I wasn't driving two children at the beginning of the day. Um, you know, some things like that just to kind of take the pressure off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're lucky in our profession that our kids can kind of tag along in evenings, you know, in the marching band world, especially Um, my kids were at Friday night football games and there was always a student that wanted to hang out with them or, or play with them, you know, so I could involve my family in my job a little bit um, where if I were working in a business setting, that's not possible. Right. So I kind of capitalized on that. My own kids became musicians and my husband is a trumpet player, even though he teaches, you know, he doesn't teach music. So there's, there was that understanding of how things work. And then there was the conscious decision to, I'm not taking something home Monday through Thursday. I can take one thing home to work on for the weekend. I'm not taking it home. I, I stayed at work late one day a week. So like Thursdays were my late day. I would stay till five or six o'clock and then come home mm-hmm. and just kind of get it all. So I, I, I made deadlines for myself. Um, so that was huge. And keeping time to be healthy. Became even more important. Um, making sure I was getting to the gym, making sure that I was not eating a lot of junk. Um, that's really hard as a band director. Yes, I know. So <laughs> hard. Oh my gosh. But it made such a difference in my energy level to just drop some extra pounds and to, and to leave some of the carbs out. Um, and I still, you know, I'll still fluctuate back and forth a little bit, but my core understanding of how to be a good, healthy person was take care of yourself first. Yeah. Cause if you're not healthy, you can't help the kids. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like that rule on the airlines. You put, put the bag on yourself first before you put the oxygen on your, on your kid. Right.
1: Absolutely. And we tend to run ourselves into the ground. You know, I had right. plenty of health issues throughout my 30 years of teaching all of them can be related back to either stress or bad decisions with diet or not taking enough time to go out and walk. So it doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to put yourself on a restricted diet and you don't have to have a gym membership. You can just for a half an hour after school, go walk around the track right. <laughs> and drink a, a, an actual water instead of, you know, a, a soda before you go home. It made a big difference. And then the commitment in the summer to, I only work one day a week in the summer. I go in on, on Mondays. So yeah. Mondays is school day and the other, the other days I may spend an hour or so on email, but I open it up and make sure that we, we take time. As you as you said, gallivant around the country. Yeah. We all take trips. We drive. We, we do things as a family. We go camping. Yeah. You know, you just prioritize that time because if you don't have that, time, you can't get it back. My, right. my daughter was an infant yesterday. I swear. Right. And, and now she's gone. Day, right. Yeah. And that's gone in a blink.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I think that, that causes a lot of conflicts or issues for especially young teachers, like as you mentioned, is just the inability to say no to things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, specifically in the last few years, what have you become better at saying no to? <laughs> That's a great question,
1: because <laughs> I am so guilty of saying no. Oh, we all are. I'll do that. I'll be, I'll do that committee. <laughs> I'll do that. I'm, I have, I'm only on one panel right now, only on one board this is the first year in I think my whole career that I've only been on one board. Um, I I've served my time. I've done multiple offices in MSBOA Mm -hmm. and the planning committee and I've loved every minute of it. And I I think that that's an important piece of being a really balanced teacher because those experiences led me to network with other directors Mm -hmm. and built my own, understanding of what music ed is like in Michigan and what students are doing. I mean, just that collegiality, I you can't get that in any other setting. Right. Um, but I've gotten really good at saying, you know, I'm, i am I've served on that board and I think I'm going to step away. Having said that, I think I took 14 different judging contracts, assuming that they're actually. <laughs> here, so.
0: Yeah. I don't think it'll end up being 14, but I'm sure you'll be doing <laughs> something in
1: the spring. Yeah, I think the marching band ones might be a question mark, yeah, but I'm hoping. I'm you're hope. right.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, and maybe to kind of piggyback off that a little bit, have you, and this is kind of a heavy question, so feel free to go any direction with it, but have you ever experienced kind of a major failure in your life or your career that is later on you've learned from and are able to kind of set yourself up for later on success?
1: Um, I think early on with the orchestra, my first year, I assumed assumed that I, I knew more than I did and it became apparent to me really early that I should just not talk any longer and just keep this going for the kids. And that, that fear of failure spurred me to learn more. Um, I think fear of failure more so than actual failure has really been my motivator. Um, and failure to me is losing a student, which is to all of us or, um, having a really great piece of music fall flat in a performance and not be musical. Um, I've been really lucky that I haven't had to ever, I've never had that on stage. I need to stop and restart moment.
0: Yeah.
1: I've had friends that have had to do that <laughs> at a level all the time. I think that should be just built into the concert. <laughs> you know, those are failures that seem like such a huge deal to us in the business. When we get started that really, no, yeah. the failure be not connecting with a student. Yeah. So, you know, as I grow emotionally and age wise and through this whole teaching profession, um, that fear of losing a kid, I think is, drives me not to fail. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would, I, would, I would put
0: that up there too, especially in the current climate. It's just is, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so anxiety producing to think about, you know, that, that as a potential, uh, you know, coming up here, we talked mm-hmm. about starting school. So
1: and if I have a student that leaves our program, I always want that student to step away and say, you know what? I learned a lot from you. I really enjoyed the time I was here, but now I'm going to do X. Yeah. Th- that to me isn't a failure. Right. Congratulations. I'm so glad I had you for a year or two. I'm so glad you're, you're, you're happy and we had a good relationship. Um, keeping that positive is hard. And sometimes that means bending the rules just a little bit. For example, I, you know, if I have a really great kid who's struggling with a two parent situation, but my attendance policy says you have to be there at X and they can't because one of their parents can't get them there. Sometimes you have to bend the rules just a little bit to protect that student. Right. Um, And I think as a younger teacher, we're all afraid to bend those rules because they always say you can only tighten. You can't, you know, tighten up, tighten up, up, loosen up. Um, But that can lead to a big failure because kids will say, well, she's not understanding, or he's not willing to work with me. Um, re- you know, building those relationships is still just so important. Yeah. Cool. That's a really roundabout answer. Sorry. No, that's
0: great. No, I think that's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, it's the, the reason that I started the podcast is to just give, um, other directors kind of, a uh, and myself really, I kind of started it selfishly to kind of pick the brains of, of really amazing teachers and directors about how to bring balance into their life and how to bring balance into their, into their teaching as well. I mean, we talk about uh, work-life balance a lot in our careers, mm-hmm. but I think the idea of offering a balanced education or a, a balanced program for your students is also really important. Because, like you said earlier, not everyone's going to be a musician when they grow up. You know, not everybody's going to. We're not training, you know, the replacements in the Chicago Symphony. You know, that's not the point of what we're doing here. And so, mm-hmm. having a balanced program, I think, is is really important, and, and being able to make exceptions for those students that is going to go a long way in their life. And they, they know that, you know, Mrs. Gould has their back and if they can't get there because they've got a two parent situation or they've got to take care of their sibling or whatever the case might be, you've got some empathy for
1: that situation. Right. It's really important. And I become more empathetic as I get older and I think not only getting older, but having two two kids of my own, and neither one of my kids are in my program. They're in another school system. Mm-hmm. Again, we bought a house half what was halfway at the time, right? Um, and watching, you know, how they react and work with their teacher too just makes my brain say, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should take a look at that again. Yeah. Do you think it's yeah, revisit revisit our policies. I I started off teaching with like a fourteen page handbook, right. and I've reduced that to about a three paragraph document that That's starts smart. with rule number one: don't get any blood on the carpet. <laughs> If you've done that, you've done something really wrong. Right. That's that's three pages right there worth of, of of your previous book, right? (laughs) Right. Done. (laughs) If you're bleeding and you're on my rug, you've either been doing handsprings across the band room or something worse, you know, you're spinning tubas. I don't know. Right. There's just so much that we, we can outline and document and we need to, we need to have those policies in place for kids for guidance and structure um, and liability, I suppose. But when it gets right down to it, if you're, if you're an organized person, when the kids come in the room, you're going to have a rehearsal. Right. It's going to be. Yep. Um,
0: let's see. So you, you mentioned you, and I think this is such an important part of, of being healthy too, is some exercise routine, even if it's something huh. as simple as walking and just eating well, those are such an important uh, part of, of being a healthy band director, a healthy person. Yeah. Um, that's something I've really tried to incorporate in my life in the last, especially since the pandemic hit is reading. Wondering if you have any great influential books that you've read in the last few
1: years that you would like to share with the audience. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I like to read novels, um, but I don't necessarily like to read the self-help books quite so much. I have a Brene Brown sitting on my nightstand that I have yet to crack the spine of. I bought her at the beginning of the pandemic and I I really need to sit in there and, and read it. Um, my you know, my favorite novelist is John Grisham. I love how he writes, I love the stories, I love the background, and that's a great escape for me. Mm-hmm. Um and reading the Harry Potter books to my kids. I'm oh, still yeah. a Harry Potter fan.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I my... quote it
1: to my own students all the time. Yeah, and they get that. They'll connect
0: with you over that for sure.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, you know, those those kinds of things. I didn't I didn't get into the Twilight stuff so much when that was out, you know, ten years ago. Vampires yeah. me. Not yeah. so much. Right. But we do the Harry Potter thing. Although kids, you know, there i'm i'm about a generation behind i think with some of what's going on with kids right now i'm not as plugged in to like making the videos and yeah i haven't done a tiktok video yet
0: (laughs) oh it's just a matter of time
1: it's just a matter of time yeah but yeah so book wise um i love to read but it's usually just novels novels Escape from. sure cool very good Mm -hmm. um
0: do you have any advice that you would give for young teachers that are just beginning their career? You've given a lot already, but if anything else that we haven't talked about.
1: Yeah, I try to plug that in throughout this podcast because yeah. I know I forget about stuff later on. You know, the biggest piece is to ask questions and, and, and latch on to somebody that you love, know and respect, like me with Keith and John mm-hmm. um, and Sarah and, and keep in touch with those those primary influences. That's that's huge. Um, don't don't afraid to say I don't know that. And don't be afraid to say, I really made a mistake on that part. It's funny. I hear
0: that last piece of advice from only people that have been teaching at least 15 years. Nobody has been, you know, less than 15 right. years ma- <laughs> is able to kind of uh,
1: conceptualize
0: that yet, I think.
1: <laughs> well, there's that fear of if I say I'm wrong, then I've lost my credibility. Well, right. she's wrong now. Then maybe she's wrong all the time. Right. And that's not the case. You don't want to do that all the time. Right. I had a middle school kid that, that came in and talked to our faculty about um, relationships with teachers and students. And the the funniest thing was this this middle school kid said, "You know, it's okay if you have a bad day, guys. We all have bad days. Just don't have them every day. <laughs> every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> so admit you're wrong yeah. when you're wrong, but not every day. Otherwise, right, right. it could be a question mark. Yeah. You know. um, I, I the the whole idea between balancing your work and your in your home life. Um, it's hard because we, we're teaching our identity. We're musicians. Right. So that's our work and frequently our home life too. Um, but making that split is really important because you do have to walk away and find other things to keep your intellectual um, health and your mental health in place. Yeah. So that would be two. Number three is don't go to the drive-thru. <laughs> Pack your own lunch if yeah. you can. And that's so hard. I'm yeah. so I'm guilty of it too. But boy, does that make a huge difference because once, once your weight creeps up, um, it's really hard to get it off. And um, as a 50 something woman, it's really hard to get off. <laughs> and it, it makes a huge difference. You know, you, you there's all those other underlying health things that creep into place um, that we don't think about when we're 20 something. Yep.
0: I I'm super lucky. I live about a quarter mile from my office. So I'm able to come home for lunch, which is really nice. But before I moved to this area, I was in a good habit of packing my lunch the night before. So yeah. When I woke up, I had to, all I had to do was open the fridge and grab it. And not, Cause I, you're always running late, right? It's like, you're always like kind of hustling to get out the door. The last thing you, always. Do is, you know, make a, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or whatever. So yep. that's always helpful.
1: Yeah. Packing that, packing snacks that you can have throughout the day and like, i i used to be so afraid of that not anymore man if if i have five minutes between classes i'm gonna munch on something just to keep it under control yeah it's made it made a big difference yeah so those those are kind of the big three just like i have the big three for education arts academics and athletics and equal balance i feel like kids need everything mind body and spirit i feel like you need to do that for ourselves too so that's great yeah um
0: this is a bit of an unfair question and most yep. people do not like it, but I'm going to, I think it's a great window into kind of your musicality and your, maybe your taste or your personality, but that's <laughs> the desert Island recording piece. You're <laughs> stuck on a desert Island and, and we're all terrible <laughs> at it. You know, I did this with, with my friend Andy Perkins last week and he must have listed off about 15 hours of music, maybe, maybe 20. So all right. um, do the best you can. It's just, like I said, it's just kind of fun. It gives us an idea of, of uh, you know, some, some things that you're kind of into.
1: All right. So I'm into old stuff. Okay. That's great. Me too. Uh, I like old stuff. I, um, I, I am a big Billy Joel fan. Oh, cool. And I love all of his stuff and I love his, he does podcasts like we're doing right now. He does these talks and they're hilarious and insightful. And so I could take all of that with me. I'd be good with that. Awesome. Um, I would also take with me, uh, Hinnemith. Okay. I would take Hinnemith, Symphonic Metamorphosis. Okay. Um, Some good flute uh, parts in there, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Oh, man. Just amazing <laughs> music. I love, I love the whole structure of that piece. It's yeah. just, um, one of my favorites from my childhood that got me into studying like orchestration and how this all works was Leonard Bernstein's Symphonic Dances from West Side Story. Oh, yeah. The Fugue. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I would probably take my Joni Mitchell Court and Spark album that's from the 70s I sorry that. now that's great is that like your middle school album was that like your middle
0: school dance album
1: <laughs> no you know Joni Mitchell's just this folksy fun incredible voice she was so flexible she had like four and a half octaves that yeah. she could play around with um I just loved her stuff yeah gosh um I, was, I would pay real money to see Harry Connick and or Michael Buble at any time okay very good and, uh, and we we actually went to a Harry Connick concert in Grand Rapids uh pre-pandemic of course. Uh-huh. And watching him on stage, he was singing, he was playing drum set, he was on the piano, he picked up a brass instrument, I think it was trombone. He was just really awesome and yeah. I love his voice. Yeah, he was so. he was kind
0: of my he was kind of my gateway into I of course I would call him a jazz musician. He's an amazing jazz musician, but yeah, I kind of I he was my gateway into like more older kind of more Original jazz, I guess you know if I can if I can say it that way. Sure, um, he, I, he was the person that got me kind of leaning that direction. You know, I went from him to you know John Coltrane and Miles Davidson, but he was a great kind of gateway to get me out of you know listening to Wham and and Poison
1: nope. and, and and things like that. <laughs> he was he had, he had appeal to the general public, while, yeah. while still being a really great musician. Yeah, you know my gateway was Spyro Gyra, so that's okay. how old. I was, but you know we put that aside. Um, You know, I would also take some Broadway stuff with me because then I can sing along if I'm all by myself. At least I can feel like having a conversation. So um, I love Hamilton's soundtrack. My daughter got me started on that. I thought I was going to hate it. Yep. Same. I love it. Yep. Yeah. I can do most of that. In fact, I've got all kinds of stuff in my head right now. The Thomas Jefferson's Going Home theme (laughs) is currently the earworm. That's a good one. We, uh, yeah, <laughs> we we just we started it on
0: Disney um two nights ago. We're gonna hopefully finish it tonight. So very good. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Susan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I wanted to give you one opportunity. You mentioned uh, many of your mentors and teachers and heroes, but I just want to give you a, a quick opportunity to have a, a moment of gratitude for anybody else that you didn't mention.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Dave Catron, when I was in college, um, was just really supportive. Um, and John Madden was also just right there. He mm-hmm. was just getting started with his career at MSU when I started and mm-hmm. just hugely supportive. Um, my colleague, Charlotte Lothian, uh, again, taught with her for a long time before she retired. She was a middle school orchestra teacher. Um, she's just been awesome as, as an influence and a supporter. Um, obviously, my parents You know, I still have great conversations with my mom every single day Yeah, and my dad's passed away, but, um, their support and their, their, um, encouragement has just been, you know, I'm, I just am feeling very lucky and very blessed. And of course, you know, I've got this great family that I keep mentioning throughout the whole podcast. Um, you know, my husband, Bob and I've been married 27 years Yeah, and, uh, we, we got two really great kids out of it. My son's a senior in high school already. And yeah. The daughter's moving on. So I I, um, I could go on and on and on and on and on. But I, I hear you. Professional influences and, and those that have kept me sane and whole. Yeah. Um, I have to, I'd have to probably stop right now.
0: I I hear you. And, <laughs> and how lucky are we that we have so many great people in our lives? I, I share oh. that. I, my, my parents have been incredibly supportive of me. And I have an incredible wife and two kids that we're a little bit farther behind you. But I, mm-hmm. I know we're going to be there very soon. And I, I just want to soak up every minute and try to
1: push the pause button as many, as much as I can. Every single minute. When my son said, mom, I want to, I said, I want to go camping. I thought I'm not a camper Right. I'm not gonna- and camping. I went tent camping a lot <laughs> <laughs> because I got to be with my son and yeah. that made, you know, it made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, this has been an awesome conversation. You know,
0: you um, I think are uh, are a great example of not only an amazing teacher and band and orchestra director, but somebody who does bring a great deal of balance to your career and to your life. And so, I certainly appreciate you taking uh, some of your time today and and and, and having this great conversation.
1: Um, well, and thank you. Great conversation, and I, I I appreciate you thinking of me and those those uh, the, that light. I've worked really hard at it. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Uh, so how how can we connect back.
0: with you? Are you on um, social media? If, or if anybody wanted to reach out to so, you and ask questions,
1: yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, I try not to be on Facebook an awful lot, right? Because, um, but I do try to put something happier or positive out there, uh, day every day or two. Um, email my last name Gould, and my initials SLW. So Gould SLW at Gmail dot com. Okay. Um, and I check email on a regular basis. Sure. I have not launched into other social media platforms at this point, just because I still want to keep that balance, but maybe I retire and God knows how many years I can do that. If I
0: could, if I could recommend Instagram seems to be a much happier place than Facebook.
1: (laughs) You know, all those pictures seem really wonderful. So maybe I should go that route. Yeah.
0: Well, once again, thank you so much. I hope that you're able to, uh, you know, move on with some school stuff this later this this summer and fall i know it's going to be there's some more questions than answers at this point and i hope mm-hmm. that you're able to do so safely with your family oh, same and too. same yeah. to you yeah so all right well uh like i said thanks so much again and take care we'll
1: talk to you soon all right dave thanks so much yeah you bet peace bye-bye bye
0: This has been the Balanced Band Director podcast. Again, my name is Dave Larzalier. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show today. If you'd like to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, it's Balanced Band Director. Or feel free to send me an email at balancedbanddirector at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.